0: The show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg.
1: This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be featuring Kirk McElherm, the iTunes guy, back again because he's going to talk about the brand new version of iTunes called iTunes 12 for OS X Yosemite. We'll also hear from Daniel Aaron of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider, All this and more on the Tech Night Owl Live. So the big question we ask of Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy from Macworld, is why are you cutting back on your participation in Facebook, or do we even have to ask?
2: Well, you can ask. The reason you bring this up as we were talking before the show, Uh, a couple months ago, I started realizing that every time I go on Facebook, I see all these really stupid, annoying things that people post and people who I otherwise appreciate and it's political diatribe, it's controversial sort of anti-vaccination things or pro this or it's stupid BuzzFeed articles, it's games, which founding father are you or which member of the Rolling Stones are you, these quizzes and things. And it just got to the point where I just didn't want to see all this crap anymore.
1: Well, it's become excessive. And I understand with Twitter that the amount of participation from individual members is less than it used to be. So it's something where you burn out because you're just stuffed with all these posts. And how do you keep track of them? I mean, say you're following, you know, a few hundred people and maybe a few hundred people are following you and each is generating these tiny little blurbs of information or chatter or whatever. How do you keep track of it? After a while... It has to be completely numbing.
2: Well, on Twitter, I kind of, I I scroll through it during the day, and when I get up in the morning, I look and see, and sometimes I go through pretty quickly. I I use a lot of um, tools in the Twitter clients I use, which are Twitterific on iOS and TweetBot on Mac, um, to muffle hashtags when people start posting things about whatever event or sport or person or whatever with a hashtag that I don't want to see. I just you know, muffle them or mute them, because it's just a pain. There are days when I just give up and just go to the top of the Twitter timeline and don't look at anything. I've cut back a lot on the number of people I follow. You have to. I think there's no other choice. But all of these things can be just really frustrating. And I I find that they make me unhappy. You know what I mean?
1: Okay, so we can have an article here about the psychological damage caused by Facebook and Twitter.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, there was this study, there was a study, and I think we might have talked about it a few months ago, where they took a few thousand people on Facebook and they altered their news feeds to show them either positive or negative stories. And the people themselves posted a slightly higher percentage of either positive or negative stories, depending on what they were exposed to. And I was kind of getting the feeling, you know, you see a post on Facebook and you disagree with it. You say, well, I don't agree. And then you get all these people jumping on you and it turns into a fight. And I would find myself making, you know, blocking posts and turning off notifications. And it was just a headache. It really was.
1: Well, that's the problem. Anytime you run into these kinds of conversations, because quite often you have one individual who is baiting other people to start what they call a flame war. Yep. Yeah. And as soon as you participate, that person's friends will jump in. And it doesn't matter what you say. They could say the most outlandish things about you. And they do about me. Because I know people understand that I've gone through a lot of financial turmoil since the recession hit from 2008. And I made online appeals and things like that. People got a little crazy about it, which we understand. But they turned that into a massive conspiracy. Right-wing, left-wing Libertarian, yeah. It's a massive conspiracy. And they just follow you around in order to start a fight. And you can't get involved in this too much because it's nonsense. It's not the real world. It's no. not how people think. It's just people playing games online. So I understand here that people wanting to get sick of Facebook, it's not so easy to quit, is it?
2: Oh, it's very easy for me. I just stopped going. But okay, but what I'm saying
1: is to physically say – I want my account removed.
2: I want all my content deleted. It's not just that it's hard to do. It's that they won't do it right away. They, I think if you log in again within two weeks, they reactivate it. And there's a a process. You have to be very careful that when you delete it, you just don't go back. I haven't gone to that point yet because I still do actually keep in touch with some people um, on Facebook. But I just ignore it. If I get a message from someone, then I'll go on Facebook. But other than that, I really don't pay much attention to it. And, and, and another thing I do is I log out now from Facebook because Facebook follows you around, they have these ad tracking cookies. And so you'll see on different websites, they'll offer to let you post using your Facebook uh, account and you're already logged in and the ads will be targeted according to what you've liked and commented on in Facebook. And I think that's just creepy. I think that's just not good.
1: I'll give you an example of that. And it refers to anything you do, anywhere you go. So the other day, my co-host on the PowerCast, Chris O'Brien, and I were looking at forming a different sort of partnership for that show. So we looked into an LLC as an example. Right. Which is a pretty benign kind of enterprise because what it basically does is it gives you the protections of a corporation, but all your taxes and everything, it's just as individuals. Right. So it makes the tax structure very easily attained. You don't have to deal with expensive accountants. Okay. So we're looking at an LLC, and you know they have companies out there who are document processors. You know who they are. They advertise. I'll give you one example: LegalZoom. LegalZoom, of course, is from Robert Shapiro, who was one of the OJ lawyers, and this mm-hmm. is a claim to fame. He's one of the founders of LegalZoom, and it's basically. They will have an automated system where you can file corporate papers or file a will, file an LLC. They They stream
2: run the process for you.
1: They make it easy for normal people to get legal things done that don't require special interpretations. Right. They don't require extra work.
2: They don't require an attorney to oversee them. They just require an attorney to rubber stamp them then,
1: right? Well, no, you don't need an attorney. An attorney has drawn up these papers and you do the process okay. yourself online you only need an attorney for special cases and sometimes they'll give you an attorney they'll refer you to an attorney who is under contract with them okay so i look up one of the companies that does this document filing not legalism another company who's advertising and suddenly everywhere i go there's an ad for that company doesn't matter mm-hmm. what site yep i am being followed Yep. they're after me it's like the movie enemy of the state with Will Smith yes. and Gene Hackman, Yes. and they're following everything that you do. And guess what? That movie was maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's already happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's
1: our national security state. Let's get into stuff that I hope is more fun, away from Twitter, away from Facebook, away from tracking you. One of the things that came along with the release of OS X Yosemite is iTunes 12. Indeed. And you're the iTunes guy, so you I am. are the expert. Yeah, and it's
2: the first major update to iTunes in two years. iTunes 11 was two years ago. I think a lot of people are going to be a little bit surprised when they fire up iTunes 12 because at best it's confusing. Um,
1: at it, best it's confusing? Oh, boy.
2: Well, you've looked at it, and... Well, the the first thing is that they've flattened everything. Everything it looks like it's been run through a a steamroller, right? Um, now, this
1: is the pancake look.
2: Yes, there's no relief except in that toolbar on top with a tiny bit of shading that suggests that it's slightly concave. Um no convex, sorry, convex. Everything else is flat. There are no buttons that stand up, there are no drop shadows around your album art or anything like that. Um that's not necessarily a bad thing. And if anything, it, it fits in better with Yosemite. But the biggest problem for me is that the navigation buttons that you need to use are in a number of different locations. If you're sitting in front of your computer now and you've got iTunes 12, fire it up. At the top, just below the toolbar, you've got buttons for your different libraries, so your music, movies, TV shows, et cetera. In the center, you've got buttons that let you access different parts of your library so I'm in my music library right now and I see navigation buttons for my music, playlists Match, Radio and iTunes Store.
1: Let's pursue this iTunes 12 in our next segment with Kirk McElhern I'm Gene Steinberg, you're in the Tech Night Out Live.
3: coming of the protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids r o c k o i d s.com.
4: Mike Stenerson for Midas Resources. at no time in history have precious metals been more important, certainly not in my 22 years in the industry. The dollar's lost over 90% of its value in the last 60 years. No fiat currency has ever survived the government printing presses. Ours is not immune. Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116.
5: What good is a big Berkey water filter?
6: We get that question a lot here at BigBurkeyWaterFilters.com. And in a word, the answer is protection protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters for the love of clean water.
7: Hi, I'm Dr. Lorraine Hurley, and I've got news for you. In 2009, a team of doctors won the Nobel Prize in Physiology for discovering that the ends of chromosomes are protected by coverings called telomeres that control cellular aging. Immortalium nutritionally helps extend the lifespan of telomeres and is the most advanced anti-aging supplement to date. Healthy cell growth depends on healthy chromosomes, and healthy chromosomes depend on telomeres. Call 855-315-8326. That's 855-315-8326, or visit drhurley.net. Hi, I'm Dr. Lorraine Hurley, here to tell you about an amazing pain relief formula. Unlike Tylenol, Advil, or Ibuprofen, lavinity Pain Relief Formula is completely non-toxic and actually stimulates healing. Lavinity Pain Relief comes in a gel or capsule, and in my years of helping people, I've never seen anything like it. After rubbing a small amount on an aching muscle or a sore joint, many people report the pain is gone within a minute. Call 855 315 That's 855-315-8326. Or visit drhurley.net for more information.
1: with Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy from Macworld. We're talking about iTunes 12. And it is part of the OS 10 Yosemite experience. And they've done some major interface stuff. So what used to be fluffy or dimensional is now flat. And just in passing, I'll mention that they've got this new version of Android coming out called version five lollipop because it pops. They made it the opposite. Okay, they have it in layers with shading and drop shadows and all that stuff. So they've gone the reverse direction. Okay, so flat is in an Apple. We go into iTunes 12. And the commands in the center reflect which library or kind of content you want. So movies gets you one level of content, music another, podcasts another, that kind of thing. So right. whatever you select on the left, you choose the icon representing the content you're interested in you then see options that relate to that.
2: Right, and these are contextual, as you said. So for music, it's my music, playlist, match, etc. cetera. For movies, it's my movies, rented, unwatched. For TV shows, my TV shows, unwatched. For podcasts, it's my stations and my podcast, um, audio books and, and all that. So it's all contextual. So you've chosen your library, and for me, so a, li- a media library is either your music, your movies, your TV shows. In the center, you choose what you want to see, And then at the right, you've got a drop-down menu to choose how you want to see it. In other words, I'm in music, my music, and if I want to switch between, say, viewing albums or artists or composers, I choose that from a menu all the way at the right. So these are view options. So it may be that as I shift from one library to another and I want to view a particular type of content in a different way, I've got to click in three different places, all the way at the left, in the middle, and all the way at the right. That's not a big deal if you've got a laptop, but when you've got a 27-inch display, you've got to go from one side to the other, and I think that's a little bit annoying. And I also find that, this, that there's a sort of logic here that makes my brain hurt. You know, it's this feeling that you've got three variables and you've got to choose them all. You may flip back and forth between a couple of them because you haven't gotten them the way you want. It's entirely possible that this will become more natural over time. I do recall my iTunes 11 review for Macworld, which I went back and read last week as I was writing um, a review for iTunes 12, and I was a lot more negative about the changes they made, which weren't so much visual changes. It was things like Up Next and, and the change in the way you did playlists and all. The difference here is every the interface has entirely changed. There is not a single new feature in iTunes 12. There is not one new feature. The closest thing is a new recently added section which I think Phil Schoer called it the recently added shelf during Apple's presentation this week. Other than that, there's absolutely nothing new.
1: So basically, it's just some interface stuff.
2: Well, it's a massive interface overhaul.
1: Sure. Um, But in terms of basic functionality... In terms of basic functionality, there's nothing new. No. It's just Um, basically providing something that's different, and time will tell whether that difference is something that's better or worse.
2: Time will tell whether people can adapt to it, it's more that, Um, because better or worse of course is relative. Better for you might be worse for me and vice versa, but it's more a question of whether people find this logical. Uh, And I'm not convinced that it's necessarily logical.
1: So what was the point here? Was it a matter of the designers overwhelming the people with practical sensibilities and they want something that really looks neat? But maybe isn't as functional or as easy to use on the part of the public? Well,
2: I think the same way that a lot of Yosemite is in the eye candy. All this stuff about translucency for me is just something that looks cool when you're doing a product demo, but once you start working with it, I can't see anyone who really thinks it's better to look at a menu that's blurred than to look at a menu where you can read the fonts easily. I think a lot of this here is the same kind of stuff. And again, I'm not negative about the overall interface of iTunes. I kind of think it's a lot cleaner than the previous versions. But what's really bothering me is just this navigation. It's got some conceptual things that aren't logical. Now, let me just, let me just give a tip to all the listeners. A lot of people were recording this the day after Yosemite came out and I woke up and looked at my blog stats and I had something like, 3000 page views for an article that I had written about the sidebar, which has been removed from iTunes 12. Well, there is a sidebar. It's not exactly the same, but in any of the views, if you click on playlists in the center navigation buttons, you'll get a sidebar with all your playlists. You won't get all your music, your, all your media libraries there, but you'll still get your playlist and you'll still be able to have both your playlists visible on the left and the rest of your content in the rest of the window.
1: The point is it's there, but now you have to find it. Anything that maybe you became accustomed to with previous versions of iTunes, a lot of that suddenly is no longer in the same place, no longer done in the same fashion.
2: Everything's in the same place. It just looks different.
1: Um, I'll give you an example. It seems to be in a different place. That's the point. You know, The functions that you're so used to suddenly don't seem to be as accessible. But then isn't that a matter of our muscle memory that people have become accustomed to iTunes for a lot of years? And suddenly, in accordance with the existence of Yosemite, they had to come up with a similarly flavored iTunes version.
2: Yeah, there is a logic to it. And as you say, we've gotten used to it. And and one one of the most flagrant examples is the info window. So if you click on a a track or a movie or whatever and you press Command-I, you get a window that lets you edit the tags. And this is the name of a song, the artist, the name of a film, whatever. The window that was up, that was used up to iTunes 11 had basically not changed since iTunes 1. It maybe added some more tags. It changed in appearance as we went from aqua to brushed metal and, and, and changed over the years. But this time it's a radical change. It, instead of visible text fields with borders, there's just a white background. Um, instead of having a lot of fields laid out to fit into a window, you've got fields that aren't visible unless you manually add them. This to me is a little bit disturbing. I don't like entering data in fields. Think of a spreadsheet. If you didn't have those little borders around the the each of the cells, it makes it harder to enter data. And in this info window now, you don't have borders around any of the fields, and I find that a little troublesome just from the logic and this isn't even being used to iTunes, this is being used to entering data anywhere, Uh, not having borders around fields just makes everything seem to float. It it makes it less concrete.
1: So do you think it's a case like Apple did with iOS 7, they'll have to back off on some of this stuff in a future version?
2: I would think that if there's one thing that they might change in a future version, it would be that info window, um, because the rest of the interface does have logic to it and and it's attractive i'm looking at it now on my retina macbook pro and the fonts are very crisp and the the album art displays very nice against the white background it's kind of nice to not have drop shadows again because that that skeuomorphism that you know false reality that we're used to just isn't real and and when you look at something you there's a sense of dimensionality with all these drop shadows that's false, in a way.
1: So Reality. What a concept. More to come. We have Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
9: Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN.
1: So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I had already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TechNightOwl for a special discount.
3: First game Attack of the Rockoids and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the earth this is gripping science fiction of the classic kind attack of the rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com
10: if you need to say happy birthday happy anniversary thank you or simply i'm thinking of you proflowers.com is the key Pro Flowers has stunning bouquets, like the best-selling 100 Blooms for $19.99. Plus, Pro Flowers will include a glass vase for free. Sending someone a wonderful surprise of beautiful flowers, sent fresh from the field, is easy. Choose the bouquet you like, pick the delivery date, and each order is 100% guaranteed. Plus, all bouquets from Pro Flowers are guaranteed to last at least seven full days. Beautiful, fragrant flowers. Picked fresh and sent to your loved one for lasting enjoyment. To get this incredible savings and send someone 100 gorgeous blooms with a free vase for 19.99, dollars go to proflowers.com, click the blue microphone in the top right corner, and enter code PLOW. That's proflowers.com. Click the mic and enter code P-L-O-W.
0: The human body is extraordinary.
12: Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next.
1: Kirk McElhern is with us, talking about the things that strike you as maybe not so well thought out. In iTunes 12. Let's kind of get to wrap this up because I'd like to talk a little bit about Yosemite now that it's live for everybody. Yep.
2: Yeah. Well, there's not much more to say about iTunes. You'll, you'll check my review out in Macworld. I'm not sure when it's going to be published. Um, probably next week being the week after Yosemite was released. But try it out and see if you like it. Uh, again, I don't really dislike the interface overall but there are some things that just irk me a little bit, as, especially because I use iTunes a lot.
1: Okay, so maybe there'll be a 12.1 or a 12.5 where they'll rethink this. I don't know. OS X Yosemite. Now, my installation experience is a little bit flaky, okay? Now, I had been running the public beta on a 2010 17-inch MacBook Pro. Remember 17 inches? How soon we forget. And also on a 2009 iMac, late 2009, more than enough power, perfectly compatible for the most part, except because it doesn't have Bluetooth LE, either of these computers, the handoff feature, you know, where you start a document or an email on your Mac and go to your iPad or iPhone or back forth, doesn't work. All right. And that's something Apple doesn't really mention very much of. Okay. So I had run... The public beta on one and the developer release on the other. And we went up to like three golden master versions before Apple released the final version on the 16th. So I download the full version. I do a full install. It works fine on the MacBook Pro. On the iMac, it never gets past the progress bar moving halfway on the startup screen after the first part of the installation. It installs, it restarts, and stalls out there. Now, I contacted Apple on a chat screen because new OS, they didn't ask for $19 for support. And they just said, you know what? Shut off the computer, Mm. which I did. Restart. It should be okay, but don't have any extra devices connected to the computer when you do this. So I disconnected the FireWire cable. And it came up okay. And it ran okay. Okay. But that was a little troubling, don't you think?
2: That is, that is. I mean, we we know from experience that often when you disconnect your peripherals, it makes a difference. Yes, um, but I had
1: gone through all the public betas and the final release. I had a similar problem with the first developer preview.
2: Well, it could it could be one of these weird bugs that has something to do with the hardware on your specific Mac, because Firewire is a wonky thing.
1: But understand this. Yes, it's a wonky thing, but I did the second installation. I tried it again without the Firewire drives connected. I had... The same problem. I still had to do a double start. After that, if I reboot the machine, it was fine. Now, what I'm probably going to do here, because it had run the developer releases, is probably this weekend, restore the computer to a fresh install on a blank... You were installing all
2: of the previous installation then.
1: That's right, which could be the problem. What I'm going to do here is erase the drive after a full backup, a clone backup, go ahead and do a fresh installation of Yosemite on a erased hard drive, and then do a migration restore from the FireWire drive to get all my stuff back. It'll take maybe two, three hours, I expect. That's the solution I'm thinking of that will possibly clean this out. It may be just that. It's affecting the boot partitions. It's affecting some things there that need to be cleaned out. And that might be one of the downsides of running these public betas or these developer releases, that as much as you want, something gets mucked up. This is the mucked up feature.
2: Yeah, I had I had a problem with maybe the second developer build, an installation problem, kind of like that. I haven't done clean installs, but I think I might um, for the next version. In other words, I've been running the GM candidates, and the build that was officially released is apparently almost exactly the same. But when we get to the sort of 10.10.01 10. or whatever, I think I'll download the full installer and do a new clean install on both of my Macs. It's just it to be
1: safe because you never know what could hang out there. And Now, in the old days, of course, when we had clean installs, what it would do is would do a fresh install, then leave stuff from the previous installation in a separate folder. And I think one of the reasons Apple doesn't do that anymore is because they've got all these MacBook Airs and models with very little extra storage. They're very tight for storage. And therefore, you don't want to do that. So they think that you can just do a straight upgrade install most of the time and be okay. The fact of the matter is, of course, that sometimes it doesn't work. And then you're forced to do the Windows route, which is you wipe your drive, you do a fresh installation of the operating system, then restore the rest of your stuff. But that's a step backwards, I think.
2: Well, I think a clean install is just safer isn't it Um, it's
1: safe but you know it's time
2: consuming it's time consuming and you're putting a lot of you're putting a lot of
1: onus on on a lot of mac users new mac users who got to the platform from the ipad and the iphone and then earlier the ipod and they expect something simple and even though in terms of the number of steps involved it's not difficult to restore your mac do a complete clean install erase it restore your stuff For a lot of people, it's a very daunting task, and we shouldn't ask them to do that. I think Apple needs to find ways to clean things up better so a lot of people aren't stuck in that route. Now, consider also here something that was interesting in what was said by Craig Federighi at this week's Apple event. He pointed out that they had not a million, but over a million Public beta testers, which means that Apple never closed the beta. They said, we'll take a million. No, it was always open. They never closed it. So it's a larger number than a million who actually signed up. So we have a lot of people out there who ran the public beta, expect to be able to upgrade to the release version, and they might run into trouble because of that.
2: Well, I think the last public beta is the same as the release version, just the way the last um, GM candidate is.
1: It's one revision number. Higher, one build number higher. But a very small difference. That's the difference um, for me.
2: <laughs> well, it could be enough of a difference, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, it's I, I think so. The, the whole public beta thing is a problem because you've got a million users out there who are going to be getting in touch if they do have any difficulty. I'm actually surprised that there is a different build number because last year um, it was exactly the same build number. The second GM candidate, I think there were only two. and the final version were exactly the same. And I remember there was a bit of consternation among people who'd been running the beta, um, the developer betas, whether it was the same, but it turned out to be the same, that there is a slight difference. If, If this difference could be anything that affects the way a Mac operates, this could lead to a lot of support problems for Apple.
1: Now, remember, I have one of the older models that support it for Yosemite. So maybe that's the issue. Otherwise, there's still a bug that I've told you about in mail. It may be part of the problem of doing upgrades over a beta version or a developer's release. That is, after a while, the number of messages in a message folder in Apple Mail no longer appears. I sent you a screenshot Yeah, you this. You, mentioned you that- didn't have the problem. I have it on two computers. I have it on the MacBook Pro. But you have a lot of mail, Yes, I do. I have okay, that might be part of it, might just be the issue of having so many messages. So, for example, I have, oh, 75, 80,000 messages dating back to 1999, Mm. okay? So, therefore, I could see where maybe, just maybe, that might be the problem. I'm rebuilding all of the mailboxes right now in mail, Let's see if that fixes anything. Early experiences with OS ten Yosemite. Any shell stoppers? Mm, translucency. I don't think Translucency. So. We'll see. I mentioned
2: we'll, earlier. I think translucency is really bad.
1: But that's um, not that's not a that's
2: it's fixable. If you want to turn it off, you have to go to the accessibility preferences in system preferences, and then under display you check reduce transparency. So not that's, transparency, it's translucency, but it is there is an easy fix for it.
1: We've got to be transparent here and translucent. We'll be back with more of the Tech Night Out Live.
9: You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
15: If not, cancel and pay nothing.
12: Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Kirk and the iTunes guy, talking about OS X Yosemite, a free download from Apple and right now
2: let's let's point out that not only is yosemite free um but the iWork apps are free now for before they were free with a new mac and now they're just free for everyone
1: oh okay so apple took that further step here yeah because it was confusing oh i don't have the free version well you didn't have the previous version or i didn't buy a new mac yeah it doesn't matter anymore
2: if you'd had the previous version of iwork 09 then you could get them for free or if you bought a new ios device or a new mac you could get them for free But if you didn't, you were stuck in this limbo. So now they're all
1: free, and it it makes sense. You don't want to be stuck in limbo. No, not a good place to be. No. So you don't want to do limbo rock either if you're a creature of the 1960s or the 50s, whatever it is. But So Apple made things simple. They also had new versions of iWork apps for iOS and OS X Yosemite with some new features, by the way. New features also for some of the iLife apps. They got updated. So a lot of stuff came from Apple on Wednesday. Of course, the big announcement, I guess, would be the iPad Air 2. And this is kind of unique with the iPad Air 2. Normally, when Apple releases an iPad, you get one configuration change. You repeat it the following year with new hardware. And this, it looks like the changes in the iPad Air 2 are almost as many as the iPad Air 1, being that it's a slimmer form factor in addition to the other hardware changes.
2: Yeah, they now have a very confusing product line. There are five different iPad models. So you've got the old, the original iPad Mini non-retina, you've got the iPad Mini Retina 2, iPad Mini 2 Retina, iPad Mini 3 Retina, the iPad Air and the iPad Air 2. Um, They come in either two or three different amounts of storage and they come in either Wi-Fi or 3G. So this is dozens and dozens of of discrete configurations. Um, There's not that much of an update to the iPad Air. It's a bit thinner, but I think, you know, guys, it's time to stop obsessing about thin. They they keep doing this because they really have nothing else to say. Um, I kind of wonder, if they had kept it the same thickness as the current iPad Air, the battery life would be a couple of hours more. So there's always a trade-off between size and weight and battery life. The big new feature in both the iPad Air 2 and the iPad Mini Retina 3 is Touch ID. The iPad Air 2 also gets a less reflective display, which I think is very good, and a better camera, which I don't really care, I wouldn't take photos with an iPad. But it's not that big a difference, it's a very small evolution, there's nothing There's nothing magical like they were saying in the presentation. Um, I'm looking at the web page. Ooh, it's 18% thinner. It's 6.1 millimeters thin. Who cares how thin it is? You've gotten to the point where it doesn't matter. It's like megahertz for computers don't matter anymore. None of these things matter. matter. As
1: a matter of fact, then, if you look at the fourth generation iPad and the iPad Air, other than being thinner with logical hardware refreshes, how different was it? So it's like you it did that very again.
2: Difference. It was much thinner and lighter. I think it was 30% lighter. There's a very, very big difference in weight. My partner has my old iPad 3. It's at least 50% heavier than my iPad Air. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a difference. But I think we've gotten to the point now that it's just not a big deal anymore. I don't know what they're going to do next time. So they say 2.5 times faster graphics, 40% faster CPU, Have you ever done anything on an iPad where your CPU is taxed? I mean, some of those games would be the only things where it would affect anything. It's not when you're even watching videos at 30 frames a second. Um, It's just, it doesn't make a difference anymore.
1: I think what Apple did there is they're under the gun. iPad sales are flat.
2: iPad sales are flat because people don't renew iPads as quickly as they renew iPhones. Um, An iPhone is a device you're using all the time. An iPad... For most people, it's a more occasional device. It's going to last longer. You, you expect less from it. I, I think there's always going to be a longer cycle, a longer renewer cycle for iPads. And in many ways, the iPad Air 2 might be the device that they release to get people to upgrade from the iPad 3 or iPad 4. Uh, it's not so much people upgrading from last year's model. I would also like to point out that the iPad Mini 3 is really a ripoff. The only difference is Touch ID, and you're paying 100 bucks more for it. And they're still selling last year's iPad Mini 2 Retina, or however you call it, the previous iPad Retina. And at the 16-gig price point, it's $100 less. Touch ID is nice for two reasons. One, it unlocks the device quickly. But for me, it's not important on an iPad like it is on an iPhone. But two, you'll be able to use Apple Pay for online purchases with Touch ID devices. Now, if you do shop a lot on your iPad, that's pretty good because you'll have the security of Apple Pay. But other than that, it's somewhat bold of Apple to release a new device with exactly the same specs and just Touch ID is really the only difference.
1: I think here this is a holding pattern. Apple did everything they could to improve the iPad. Some people say, well, Apple didn't do anything with the iPad. What do you expect it to do? It's a blackboard. There's only so much you can do with the hardware, only so much you can do with the OS. It's a lot about the apps. And at this point, having gone that far, I think Apple's going to want to determine what's going to happen with regard to the uptake of this product. And as we say, you know, when people buy iPads, they don't just buy a new one every two years. They keep it for a while. My wife has an iPad 3. And I think it's getting a little tepid in performance with iOS 8.
2: That's three years old, right?
1: It's, so it's like two and a half years. The point being here is this is on its last legs in terms of support for the OS. So probably all things being equal, maybe next year, my wife would consider updating. She hasn't complained that much. She says performance isn't quite as good as it used to be. So that might be an issue. But she mostly just browses the internet and writes emails. So, so it's not a big issue for her. So it's something we consider, but we'll have to see where that goes. But that's the th- issue right here. It's not like a smartphone that you upgrade every two years or 18 no, months. No, it,
2: it gets less wear and tear. Um, it's not a device, as I said earlier, you don't expect as much from it. Um, your, your phone you're using all the time for phones or texts or emails or whatever. I find that my iPad is the device I'm using when I'm sitting down and relaxing, whereas the phone's the device I use when I'm on the go. Um, I don't take my iPad with me when I go out, usually, and I do take my phone. There are some people who do take their iPads when they go out, and I see people all over the place taking photos with iPads, and while it looks a bit strange, Apple clearly understands that lots of people do this because they mentioned it in the presentation, um, but you know, we've plateaued with a lot of things. We've, we've hit peak iPad. We've hit almost peak iPhone. There's nothing much more they can add to these devices without sort of adding services. So the addition of Apple Pay is certainly important. It's a service. Um, faster Wi-Fi. You don't, it's not often you're going to be downloading something where you need faster Wi-Fi to get something onto an iPad, unless you're, you're syncing via Wi-Fi. But then all of your um, all of your Wi-Fi hardware has to be that same speed, which for me certainly isn't the case. My iP- my airport extreme is, what, two, three years old, so it's still only the end. I don't have AC hardware. And if you can take advantage of the faster Wi-Fi, you've got to update all, everything in the chain. So they're going to keep doing this. Every year they're going to incrementally increase things but they're going to have to come up with some really interesting ideas, again, less in hardware than in service, to be able to make
1: these more interesting. Service and apps, and that's a big issue. Now, the New York Times had an article which I thought was really ill-thought. The quality of tech journalism at the New York Times has really gone downhill.
2: Since David Pogue left.
1: Yes. It's as if they have nobody there who understands anything more than writing hit-bait articles. So we have this one where he's talking about, well, I can't think of any apps I want to run on the iPad. Now, Apple said they've got like 675,000 apps optimized for the iPad. So I have to think he's got a few. Even Office for the iPad, Microsoft Office for the iPad, there's no equivalent on the Windows platform. It lives in a world by itself. It offers a pretty good simulation of the experience that you get with Office on your Mac or PC, but optimized for a touch interface. Again, it's unique because they haven't been able to do that with their Surface tablets yet. And if you want a decent level business app, it's there. I don't see where you say that's not important. You have more and more stuff from Adobe and other companies for content creation. How can you say there are no decent apps for the iPad? More to come. On the Tech Night Out Live with Kirk McElhearn, I'm Gene Steinberg.
9: Great minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN.
7: Imagine looking in the mirror, and to your surprise, you look 10 years younger. How would it make you feel? Looking Younger can be your reality with our breakthrough anti-aging formula that's clinically proven to visibly and dramatically improve wrinkles, lines, and skin tone. Call 1-844-500-0815. That's 1-844-500-0815. Or visit imaginelookingyounger.com.
8: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy, writes for Macworld, and also he has his blog called Kirkville at McElhern.com. And we're talking here about Apple's iPad dilemma. How do they get more people to buy it? Now, one thing I guess they're trying to do is get more enterprise penetration with this IBM deal. It's not just to sell iPhones to the industry. It's selling iPads to industry, right?
2: Yeah, I think that, and it's not just the IBM deal. The, the IBM deal is one thing, but also that sends a message to other people in the enterprise market that the iPad is now ready for that market. It's interesting. I got a delivery from, I think it was Amazon the other day, and I noticed that the delivery person used, um, an. I guess it was an iPod Touch, or maybe it was an iPhone in one of these rugged cases with a stylus. And I've been seeing these around here a lot. Um, I, I think the iPad is pretty popular with certain types of industry. I know that I think airline pilots use it because they can put all their documentation on an iPad instead of piles of books. But I think there are certainly enterprise areas where they need more penetration. This won't save Apple's flagging sales of the iPad. I think you're going to get to a certain point. So I've heard from people who bought the iPhone 6 Plus and say that they don't need an iPad anymore, that they were using an iPad mini and that the 6 Plus is big enough for them to do a lot of what they do. So you're going to have a little bit of crossover as you get bigger phones, if you can still call them phones, and people using them as tablets. So the the tablet market is just – Apple sort of created the tablet market. They weren't the first to have a tablet, but they were the first to have one that people started buying a lot. Um, everyone sells tablets. Even over here, there's a supermarket chain that sells one. I think it's 79 pounds. So it's like 120 $120. It's a basic Android tablet. Amazon has their cheap tablets. Um, the tablet is becoming a commodity. It's it's becoming a cheap device, and for Apple to keep selling things at this price point, they've got to focus on higher end activities. And the enterprise market is one. And you know, fast graphics and long battery life. These are others. But it's it's really hard to predict where this market's going to go. Is it going to sort of start sinking like the iPod did? I doubt it. I think tablets are here to stay for a while, but they're going to get a lot more, they're going to become banal pretty soon. And there's, you you can't keep making sexy new tablets and phones and all that every year. So as I said earlier, it's, they're going to have to come up with services that make a difference. And one of them, which actually Apple didn't discuss in the presentation is the iPads that they're selling come with what's called an Apple SIM. It's Uh, if I understand correctly, it's a SIM that you can use with any carrier. And I really haven't looked into this a lot, but I saw some articles today that suggest that this is really going to change the way people interact with phone companies. Because with a SIM card like this, you can change from one carrier to another quite easily, assuming you've got the contract or whatever. I don't know what the technical aspects are. But your SIM card is no longer issued by your carrier. My guess is there's some sort of code that the carrier registers
1: hmm well remember also that only certain models of ipad have that feature it's like 130 dollars more to get the cellular feature with the sim card right so the question is when you buy your ipad you make that decision do i want to spend a lot more money to have this capability to be able to hook up with a cellular network and if you decide you don't need it save your money but it's not something you can add later
2: Well, and another thing to bear in mind is that you can, um, depending on your carrier, not all carriers allow this, you can set up your iPhone as a a hotspot, so your iPhone's connecting to the cellular network, it's transmitting over Wi-Fi, and you can connect an iPad to the iPhone. So if you already have an iPhone, you probably don't need to have a cellular iPad. If, however, you don't use an iPhone, and and you do want cellular access with an iPad, then yeah, you're going to pay more not only for the for the iPad itself, but you're going to be paying for a contract or a pay-as-you-go or, or prepay or whatever.
0: Mm.
1: Well, the one thing I do see here with regard to the iPad, and we'll move on to other topics for our remaining segments, and that is that the iPhone 6 Plus is the iPad mini killer for many, which is probably one reason why Apple didn't bother making major upgrades. They're going to continue to produce that product if sales are decent, They'll keep it running, and there are probably dedicated needs where it's going to work, where people don't want an iPhone 6 Plus. They'd rather have a dedicated device, one that isn't too large. And for a time, by the way, when the iPad Mini first came out, I think it outsold the larger model, but that changed after a while.
2: Yeah, it did, and I and I really liked the iPad Mini. I, I got the first one, but once the Retina iPad came out, I just couldn't look at that display that wasn't Retina on the iPad Mini. I... Actually, if they had updated the iPad Mini Retina now, I might have bought one. Um, but I'm not going to buy last year's model at this year's price or even last year's model at last year's price. Um, w- what you say about the iPhone 6 Plus versus the iPad Mini is kind of interesting. But there is a big difference. The iPad Mini is still a Wi-Fi only device if you want it to be. And that makes it a lot cheaper than the iPhone 6 Plus. But again, a lot of people I know are finding that the six plus duplicates it. So I think there is going to be some cannibalization of the iPad Mini because of the six plus. But I wonder how much. I'm I'm not sure it's necessarily the same, the same type of use case.
1: And remember, the, the Apple makes a larger profit from the iPhone six plus. They so do. They don't mind. It's a more
2: expensive device.
1: People forget that. You know, you get it for two ninety nine at AT&T or $399 if you want the 64-gigabyte version. But you're talking about a product that's seven $800 there. Yeah. We forget that. We forget it's something where Apple makes huge profits, and thus they want you to buy that. It's something that makes them look real good. And if we're in a situation here where it appears that iPad sales are destined to have plateaued and may go up or down a little bit over time, doesn't matter to Apple as long as the sales of the iPhone continue to increase. Let's move to the other piece of hardware that's kind of interesting. And I have to say this first. And that is that with the iMac, I really wondered here whether it made sense for Apple to come up with a retina version. Because we understand the value of a retina screen if you're looking close to the screen. But as you move farther and farther away from the screen the difference isn't as drastic. And you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, the the pixel
2: density that you need for something to appear to be retina depends on the distance that you are from the screen. So an iPhone has a higher pixel density than, say, a MacBook Pro. I didn't see what the actual pixel density of the iMac is, but it's certainly going to be a little bit less than the MacBook Pro. Because, as you say, the distance, you're a little bit further away. When I'm working on my laptop, I'm whatever distance. When I'm working on my um, Thunderbolt display, I'm maybe a foot further away from the display. And that difference means that for you to see something as retina, which means basically you can't distinguish the pixels, you don't need as much pixel density. And it's the same reason we discussed 1.4K TVs. You sit too far away from a TV in most cases that a 4K would make a difference until the TVs become really big, at which case they will make a difference. So, I, I, I've i wanted a Retina desktop display for quite a long time. Um, the Thunderbolt display, Apple's current display, is more than three years old. Um, I'm seriously considering selling my Mac Pro to buy an iMac with a Retina display. I'm on the fence, um, but you can get the iMac with a four gigahertz processor, which is a lot faster than the Mac Pro, but it's fewer cores, of course. And that display makes a difference. But I've always for a very long time, I've preferred having a separate display and computer. It means that I can upgrade the computer more easily or change the display more easily. Or or if one of them goes has has to be serviced, like currently my Thunderbolt display is being serviced, I still have the Mac Pro here.
1: Of course if you look at the price. There's a lot to be said for $24.99 plus for the 5K iMac, especially when you consider what it costs for a Mac Pro. More to come with Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
16: Quantitative easing. Unemployment at depression levels. Europe financial system falling apart. China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at $11 trillion, gold trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded $16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The $20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing
0: On Facebook, on the news, and in conversations with friends, we're bombarded every day with advice on how to be healthier, from gluten-free and non-GMO diets to how much exercise and sleep the body needs. But how much have you heard about alkalizing the body? AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are a holistic and natural way to get your body's pH levels back in balance. Just a few drops in water will help your body rid itself of harmful waste, and even the healthiest of diets can be complemented with your daily use of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Who isn't looking for more vibrance, vigor, and energy? Now buy two bottles of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops and get $10 off your order. Visit Alcavision.com or call 800-518-7615. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops are packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds. Open the door to greater health, vitality, and zest for life. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health. Call 800-518-7615 or head to alcavision.com.
5: bricklows you can't afford to wait so call 866-91-STEEL lock in your price now call 866-91-STEEL that's
8: 866-917-8335 we'd like to hear from you if you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe
1: on iTunes. I'm Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Owl Live with Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy. We're talking about the 5K 27-inch, iMac and suddenly you're in a situation here where does the Mac Pro make sense for now another class of people because you gotta look at the dollars and cents here so basically here what Apple has done is take the 1799 27-inch iMac added the Fusion Drive which would make it like 1950 and for an increase of another $550 you get this gorgeous display now to put that in perspective Dell is coming out with a 5K display. A little bit later this year, it's $2,500. Yeah. Now the other thing here, of course, is when you start configuring the iMac, the Retina version, it can go up to $4,399 fully outfitted with everything. You
2: you can always add stuff to it. I took a look at it and, well, first of all, I'm looking at the US prices now. So the Mac Pro is $3,000 base price. And the Retina iMac is only twenty five hundred. And this is computer plus display. If I were to go up to the four gigahertz, let's see, oh, I want flash storage, the four gigahertz processor. It's still only twenty seven forty nine. If I add Apple care, it's less than it's the cost of the Mac Pro.
1: You start adding more
2: memory, it adds well, up. But but you don't you don't pay Apple for memory. You buy it and you add it yourself. It costs half as much. So and to get 16 gigs, it costs you an extra $100, not the $200 that Apple's asking for it. Um, Apple Care is, what, $169. Even if you want the faster video card, what's that going to be? Only $250 more. You're still only at $3,168.
1: The key here so, is if you add all flash storage, okay, it's $800 it, above the basic version. If you no skip sense. that, you keep the purchase in the low $3,000. That makes pretty well no configured. sense. That makes no
2: sense. A terabyte of flash storage. Flash storage, and the reason that Apple sells the Fusion Drive is because flash storage is useful for files that you access often. The Fusion Drive moves the files around onto the flash memory when you access them often. And all the rest of them, your iTunes library, your iPhoto library, and these things you don't access often, they're on the hard drive part. They don't need to be on flash storage. I, the only people who need a terabyte of flash storage are people who are, let's say, video editing professionals, that kind of thing. Um, but adding additional flash storage to me makes absolutely no sense. I keep my iTunes library on an external Thunderbolt drive. Um, I've got a 256 gig flash drive in my Mac Pro. It's half full. If if you have a lot of photos and videos, same thing. You're going to offload them onto an external drive. It really doesn't make sense to pay for the flash storage.
1: I agree with you, especially because you're getting all that value in the Fusion Drive. The only consideration I would make is is a terabyte enough maybe i want to go to three i outfitted something as my ideal 5k iMac it doesn't mean i'm going to buy one but if i were to buy one i came up with a low three thousands because i added extra memory from apple just for the convenience because adding 16 gigabytes is like a 200 hundred dollar option if i simply bought the memory myself i can do it for like a hundred and change so we understand that yeah that's the only thing yeah. i did that maybe is stupid But otherwise, I added the 3-terabyte drive. I skipped the faster graphics card because I'm not doing 4K video editing. And therefore, that's probably a superfluous purchase. Or games. It's not necessary. So for what I did, that would be good. And of course, the faster processor. So that got to the low 3000s. And then you know I can decide whether I want to have an external drive. So the key here is that, is that going to be a big draw for... Certain people who might otherwise have bought a Mac Pro, but consider it too expensive because obviously the Mac Pro, if you're crunching numbers there, you're doing 3D rendering, you're doing stuff where you need 12 cores of power. There's nothing that beats it. But I think a lot of people who might have considered the Mac Pro, but were put off by the price because they still had to buy a display. Suddenly they've got a display and the computer. And maybe it gives them 90% of what they'd normally get out of a Mac Pro.
2: Yeah, it, it's a very compelling machine. Again, I've always preferred to have them separate, but this, this is really tempting here. It's the quality of the display more than anything, because I have wanted a better display for a while. I don't push the Mac Pro to the limits. The only things that, um, maxes out the CPU on the Mac Pro is when I rip DVDs, and I have been ripping a lot of my DVD collection lately. Um, that's something I'm sure that the iMac could do 90% at 90% of the speed or, or whatever it's not gonna make that much of a difference. Um, so I'm, I'm actually gonna to decide tomorrow because I I think I mentioned on the show that I managed to get the Mac Pro at a discount, um, and I can also get the iMac at a discount. So, um, of course, then there's the hassle of reselling the Mac Pro, but it's probably not too hard.
1: And the issue here would be, you sell the Mac Pro, are you gonna get back enough to make the upgrade fairly inexpensive? I have a feeling you might. Because when I got the 27-inch iMac originally, I sold a Mac Pro and a display, a large display. And I had $400 change mm. to buy other stuff. I bought a couple of backup drives.
2: So, well, I see. I would also sell my Thunderbolt display with it, which, as I said, is out for service. Um, the power supply is being replaced. Now, it's three years old, but I'm sure someone would pay sort of half the price of new knowing that it's just been serviced. So it's it's used, but it's as good as new because they, they replaced the power supply and the the, the, the all-in-one cable that comes out the back, which was getting a little bit frayed by the lightning connector. So, you know, they've gone over the whole thing and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So I can sell that and get a, a good chunk of change as well.
1: You'll end up with a profit, my friend. I don't care about getting
2: a profit. So the from an accounting standpoint, these are business expenses and the Mac Pro is amortized. So I've had it for four months. So four months of the value is already being deducted from my books. So I can sell it for that difference and basically not lose money. I don't care about a profit. um, But I can probably make it uh, at least an even trade Mac Pro for
1: for the iMac. Tell us what you do there because I still think you can get a pretty decent dollar for that Thunderbolt display, because it's still got three or four good years out of it, especially since you did replace the power supply, because that tends to be what goes most.
2: That's what goes display. wrong after a few years, yeah, on displays. Well, it sells here for £900. I figure if I sell it for 400 uh that's more than fair. Again, since it's just been serviced, what is it, $1,000 in the States? So that would be like selling it for 450 or something. And that's fine, because it has served me well over three years. I've gotten value.
1: And how much would you sell the Mac Pro for?
2: I have to calculate because I did get it at a discount so I can afford to sell it for what I paid for it, basically, and give whoever buys it the same discount I
1: got. What is that worth if you didn't get a discount? Last question. The Mac Pro. Yeah.
2: £2,500 new or 3000 I got the base model. I didn't expand anything. I did add some RAM on my own, and I'm not sure yet if I could use that RAM in the, in the iMac. You can or can't? Can't. Okay. So I would sell it with the RAM at cost. I've got AppleCare on it. I can either sell the AppleCare contract pro rata for the time left, or I can get reimbursed. Um, Good to know. If you do buy AppleCare ever for a computer and you sell the computer, you can contact Apple and they'll reimburse you the period of AppleCare that's not been used.
1: Kirk McElhern, tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff.
2: Uh, go to my website, Kirkville. It's at McElhern.com. That's M-C-E-L-H-E-A-R-N.com. And check me out at Macworld. I've got a pretty big review of iTunes 12 coming out next week.
1: Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the
2: Tech
9: Night Out Live. Thanks for having me, Gene. You're listening to GCN, proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Lock down your digital life at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
1: A2Hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account, and get this, neighbors—they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24/7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code Gene when you check out.
0: The human body is extraordinary.
12: What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with
1: Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Apple Insider and Roughly Drafted Magazine, and we got so much to talk about, we're just going to dive right in. Now, ahead of the announcement from Apple, about the new iPads. There was an article in the New York Times, I guess, pronouncing doom and gloom. And I mentioned this to our previous guest, Kirk McElhern, that the New York Times quality of tech coverage has gone downhill severely in the past year or so, as we know. So he's going through all this garbage about, gee, where are the decent apps on the iPad? And Apple has what? 675,000 iPad optimized apps. How come he couldn't find any? Daniel?
19: Well, I mean you kind of look for what you're looking for. If you've ever had, I mean, you've you've been on, I'm sure, both sides of the interview, the journalistic interview. I I remember as a kid thinking that if something's written in the paper, it must be true. But the more that I the more that I'm involved in reporting things and seeing how other people report things, particularly things that I'm aware of. Um the more shocking it is that people just sort of decide what they want to write, in many cases, and then go out and find the facts to support that. And you see that in a lot of this kind of reporting, where they want to believe this, you know, Ben gate is a big problem. So they go out and find the two people that are complaining about it and write a story about them. Never mind the fact that, you know, there's tens of millions of people who are not seeing this problem. And it's only like one or two people that are, have an agenda to push. So, I mean, a lot of this is, is you're looking for a story, and sure enough, you find it.
1: Well, the issue with BendGate is even worse. Even Consumer Reports, which does not love Apple, tested the iPhone 6 Plus and found it meets actually what Apple claims to be their standards for bendability. Exceeds them, as a matter of fact. Then, of course, we had this other company that sells extended warranties in the U.S. called SquareTrade. And they did an informal bendability test, and the only person who could bend it was their weightlifter who could bench press over 400 pounds, and he had a tremendous grip, and he was able to do it slightly. So if you force it, you could do it. But this was another non-issue. This is kind of like a couple of years back, we had the claim that one of the iPads, I think the third generation, ran a bit too hot. So Consumer Reports jumps out there and say, let's see if we can expose Apple for this. And of course, it was running with a normal temperature range. And that thing died down, as will BendGate.
19: Well, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting is the people who are talking about BendGate were the people who desperately wanted Apple to fail. And so they thought that they had jumped on something that they could really, you know, stop sales of iPhones with. Is it, you know, (laughs) every year there's one one or two of these. What was really the case is when you look at what people are talking about, and the coverage in the major media, Bingate was really a positive for Apple in the yeah. end because everybody was talking about it. And what they were talking about with the new iPhone 6s, 6 and 6 Plus, was very much the feature that Apple was showing, the fact that they were thin. So really it was just having people, you know, they say no, no publicity is bad publicity, or however the saying goes. <laughs> if people are talking about your product, it's usually a good thing. And even when it's kind of a negative tinge and there's like people are trying to say something bad about it, it wasn't a credible thing. And so it didn't really take off. didn't really, um, I mean, it took off in this viral sense of everybody was chattering about it, but didn't have a negative impact on Apple's sales, obviously, or or interest in the product. In fact, if anything, it made people want to investigate themselves.
1: Now, during the session, the media event, Tim Cook, was pointing again to the best sales with the iphone 6 the biggest first month in the company's history unfortunately he didn't give us any actual figures hopefully we'll have those next week i was kind of disappointed because i thought this is the number crunching guy he's getting on there before the public give some people some red meat there let's have some numbers why didn't he do that
19: well people act like apple is struggling on the you know right on the line of you know can they make it and can they can they stay in operation till the end of the year you have a very different perspective if you're working inside of apple and certainly tim cook is is aware of what's going on and he doesn't have that desperate like i have to throw out something some kind of number to tell people that we're still alive and that everything's going to be okay there's a, a certain confidence in that and when you look at competitors products that are really quite struggling they put off a more bluffing show of putting out numbers that are kind of meaningless so you see some of these companies that are saying, oh, we sold this many thousand phones per minute for this period of time. And when you do the math, it's like, well, that's not actually a lot of phones when you compare it to who you're competing against. Or when they talk about, oh, our, you know, every new product that comes out for Microsoft or Amazon has to say, oh, we sold out. And it's like, well, what did you sell out of? Did you have five? Or did you have millions? Or how, what, how many did you have? And say, oh, no, we just sold out of our inventory. Well, that means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. So when Apple starts saying, you know, oh, we sold out of this, and that's it, that's going to be bad news. But so far, they're they're quite confident in what they're doing, and it's quite obvious if you're looking at the the lines or or the the talk about iPhone six or the, the the rate of which is being adopted, it's quite off the charts.
1: Going back to the iPad, and that's where the negativists can jump because sales were flat for a couple of quarters, and. Apple has expanded the line and kept some older models in the lineup, I guess, to have a wider range of products to sell at different price points, which also helps to expand the market. But I guess the big question here is what does Apple do to really move more iPads into the hands of customers? Is it expanding into the enterprise, widening the product line so you can get something as cheap as $249? You know, have they really reached the potential? Do they even have a full handle on where this product goes?
19: Well, iPads are not just flat. They actually are going down. So last year, I can't remember when exactly it started, what quarter? But there was a quarter where it was down kind of you know, significantly, like in the range of 10%. And over the last year, it's been kind of consistently like less than the, the year-ago quarter. Um, that being said, the number of iPads that Apple is selling is pretty incredible and it's far ahead of everyone else in the top five so apple is selling way more tablets than everybody else is everybody else of of consequence or note of anyone anyone who can name a tablet brand apple's beating them so there's kind of this relative thing of yes tablet sales peaked and now they've like gone down slightly which is an interesting question of what's happening is it and some of the obvious answers is people buy one and they don't necessarily need to replace the next year with smartphones, people are constantly replacing it because it's a computer that you're carrying around in your pocket all the time and you want to have the nicest one. And the price to do that is uh, carrier contracts kind of incentivize constantly upgrading. And so a lot of people do buy a phone every year or, or even every two years, whereas iPads, you buy an iPad and you can use it for – it's more like a computer where you can use it for at least three years. And how many different iPads do you need?
1: Well, the so- only reason you would tend to upgrade or replace an iPad is suddenly you're paying, what, $79 for the new battery. So I think after three or four years, the first thing to go on it is going to be the battery. If you're charging it up a lot and discharging it, it's going to reach that maximum of efficient charge cycles after a year or two. And then it's downhill. So at some point in time, you're going to say, let's at least get rid of the battery. Then you decide, is that maintenance cost worth it now, or should I just buy a new one?
19: Yeah, it's likely to last less than a PC, like a conventional PC, because of that. Um, and it, also, PCs don't rapidly advance that much every year. You can buy a PC from a couple years ago, and you can still use it for basic things. iPads are kind of rapidly evolving with in, in terms of speed and ca- capacity, things like that. But there's another um, kind of interesting thing, too, is in all of tablet computers, iPads and everything else, Apple has kind of focused on targeting the PC. They have a, a, a more square aspect ratio, and they really worked hard on creating a, a tablet platform for apps. Everybody else, particularly uh, Android stuff, is trying to be a TV. It's like a portable TV. And so it's 16 by nine, it's it's widescreen device me- meant for watching movies, primarily.
1: Okay, so it's a tiny TV set. Not a productivity device. We've got the productivity man himself, Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
9: Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are
1: GCN. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Three
14: square meals you'll need in an emergency. So the Freeze Dry Guys three square meal unit sale is just the ticket. A variety pack of tasty, nourishing breakfast, lunch, and dinner on sale now. Breakfast is Freeze Dry Guys favorite. Hot oatmeal and sweet dehydrated bananas. Lunch is Mountain House freeze dried hot macaroni and cheese and crisp green beans. And dinner is Mountain House long grain wild rice pilaf and hearty beef stew, vegetables, and gravy. Call Freeze Dry Guy and ask for details on the 120 Twenty six serving three square meals units. One case normally one sixty four thirty seven, sale price at only one thirty eight ninety. Save over twenty five bucks. Get two or three cases and save even more. Or ask about Freeze Dry Guy's Fall Chili Special. Always free shipping to the lower forty eight states. Call eight six six four oh four three six six three or click Freeze Dry and hurry. The Fall Chili Special and Three Square Meals Unit are on sale while supplies last from the Freeze Dry Guy, the finest freeze dried and dehydrated foods available for long term storage.
6: Period.
5: What good is a Big Berkey
7: water filter?
6: We get that question a lot here at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. And in a word, the answer is protection protection from water main breaks, E. coli contamination, environmental chemical spills, pesticide runoff, chlorine taste and smell, and all forms of fluoride. Plus, Big Berkey water filters are the original gravity water filter system and most trusted on the market for a reason. Tested by multiple independent NSF EPA certified labs, they are the gold standard in water purification. At only 1.7 cents a gallon, a single set of filters can last for 5 to 10 years. That means big savings. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get a Big Berkey today at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit our website or call one 99 berkey That's eight seven seven ninety nine 99 berkey Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water.
14: You have all seen and heard about the elements of the periodic table. These elements are the building blocks of everything in the universe. You, my friends, are made from these elements. A shortage of any of these important trace elements can lead to disease. Go with the science and take the Lady Talk Health Challenge and get all 90 essential trace elements with a healthy start pack at LadyTalkLive.com or call 855-333-LADY. That's 855-333-5239.
12: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to The Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg.
1: Daniel Aaron Dilger joins us. He writes for Apple Insider and on a rare occasion for Roughly Drafted Magazine. And we're talking about the different kind of tablet focus here. So... The other tablets are sixteen by nine consumption devices, like the portable TV player. You watch TV, you, maybe you read a book on it, but even then, that's not so comfortable with a sixteen point nine form factor.
19: People talk about consumption. I, I, that word just means nothing to me. It was originally it was coined to like denigrate the iPad. That's the only thing that that word means. It means oh, this isn't a real computer. It's it's meant for like watching stuff. That's not true. But the real difference between tablets is. Some make a better TV. An iPad isn't a great TV because if you're watching a widescreen movie, it's taking up even less of the screen. An iPad is very much targeted at replacing a PC. And it's been very successful at that. Android devices, primarily, are very successful at being a portable television. They're extremely uh, popular in China. People are using them as, as a portable television. And they're replacing other devices that were kind Of acting like a portable, you know, like portable DVD players. That's what these Android devices are replacing. So they're kind of targeting different things. And Android, if you look at Google's latest, is it the Nexus 9, I think? Um, it's their their tablet. It looks exactly like on an iPad. They realized that what Apple's doing is, is working better than what they're doing. And so they came out with a product that's targeting exactly like the iPad instead of continuing to do what they have been doing with Android tablets. That tells you something. That tells you that. Google is aware and looking at the market, and I think it's Asus that makes it. I'm not actually, actually, I think it's Lenovo. I, I'm, I don't know who makes it, Nexus 9, but Google and, and the partner that makes the device are aware that Apple's stuff is working better than their own strategy. And so that's kind of an interesting thing. But when you talk about the enterprise, the enterprise is not looking for something to watch movies on. They're looking for things to watch, to to uh, function with, working on documents the way you work on on a piece of paper or an, a Nova computer, which is a computer-type display. And so that's why Apple has an overwhelming majority of sales in the enterprise. And if you talk about how Apple's going to build their sales or how anyone is going to build their tablet sales, encroaching on the PC that's dying is going to be a big factor in that. And the partnership that Apple has with IBM and the way that IBM talks about Swift, which was kind of alluded to, I mean, it was, it was presented in the, in the PR event this week,
1: that's, of course, a new programming language, folks, that Apple has. It may be arcane for you and I, but if you want to build new apps, it's very, very, very important.
19: So it's an efficient way to build new software that makes kind of from the ground up use of tablets. Rethinking, not just taking a PC type app and, and making it work on a tablet, but actually thinking, how is the best way to solve this problem, this, this problem in our company? we have to do this and then we have to do this and then we have to do this. How do we take this workflow and put it on a tablet in a way that not only replaces a PC, but works better than going to a desk and typing on a, on a computer or bringing on a laptop around you and having to manage this complicated device. How can we take uh, tablets and solve problems with them? And you see this in a number of, ca- it, it's becoming very popular in, in, you know, you see it in cash registers. You see it in people selling. You can sit down with a client and, on a on an iPad, you can easily show them stuff. You can hand it to them. They can interact with it. It's not something they have to learn. They don't have to know what keys to push. It's something that can kind of intuitively work with. There's so many different uh, applications for a tablet that works that replaces the functionality of a computer rather than just showing a movie. And so Apple got this right. And everybody else was saying, oh, no, you know, it's a consumption device. And at the same time, they're also saying, oh, no, it doesn't, it's not 16 by 9 like, you know, our HGTV needs to be. So everybody was saying that Apple was wrong. But, you know, kind of in the end, it looks pretty much like Apple got it right. So if you look at who's going to be in trouble when the tablet market kind of sorts itself out, because things are pretty new. iPad came out in 2010. It's only four years old. We're at a very early state. So, as tablets start to take off, and we know that they're going to, we know that they're going to become more and more popular because having a tablet device, tablets are only going to get more more powerful and they're going to stay much simpler than a a notebook computer can ever be. And the alternative to that, um, which Google has been working on for longer than the iPad, the, the Chromebook, without any traction, no one's using Chromebooks, they're giving some away to schools. They're making a big to-do about, you know, oh, we sold a million of them. Well, good job. You've been selling this longer than the iPad and it's barely reaching a point where you can even talk about your sales. Running a web client on a laptop-like computer is not where the future is, I don't think. But, you know, good for Google for trying. We'll see which which one works.
1: Now, one of the other big issues, of course, is that estimating sales of tablets is very strange. Now, we look at the estimates from a company like a Gartner or an IDC, and we know they're notorious for undercutting Mac sales. And what they're doing with tablets is they create these artificial categories so they will not accept an iPad as a PC, which it is.
20: Well, there's
19: certainly notable differences between an iPad and a PC, and it makes sense to contrast them, but... to to refer to them as being separate markets when it's very obvious that the, the the iPad particularly is eating into PC markets. People are buying a a tablet instead of a PC quite obviously. Um, You should at least acknowledge that. And what they've done is worked so hard to like push those two things apart so that nobody compares them. It's it's quite transparent and obvious why. Um, And at the same time, they've now started saying, Oh, well, the, while well, the iPad isn't competing at all against conventional PCs, which quite obviously is. Um, the iPad is, featured, is in direct competition with all these like cheap devices in China that are being used as DVD players. And it's like, oh wait a minute, that's not even true. You can you can go to China and find all these devices that are using, you know, Android, and they're they're in a device that's bigger than a phone, and it's using a chip that's not an Intel processor. And that's what they defined as basically the tablet market. And so they're saying, oh, the iPad market share has gone down and gone down and gone down. Well, that's not true at all. Apple keeps selling the majority of the tablets of the top five makers. And they're saying that this long tail of however many dozens of companies who, based on IDC's numbers, can only be making like a million units each. Per year or per quarter or whatever segment it is, um, it, it's, it's quite obviously just junk science trying to portray something that's not true. I mean, the more you look at the numbers, the more I look at the numbers, the more it's just like strikingly false data that are just erecting this, this scaffolding of nonsense to distract away from the fact that the building is there. Instead of acknowledging, yes, this is happening and people should be aware that, you know, Make plans for this because this is, this is what's going on. That's their job. That's what these companies are supposed to do. They're supposed to say, hey, here's a trend. Jump on it so that you're not left behind. And instead they're saying, oh, no, nothing's happening. iPads are not important at all. They're just being used by consumption. That's a lie. They've been lying about that for years. Now they're caught with it. They're saying, oh, no, iPads aren't important because there's all this crap being sold in China. That's also a lie. No one is saying, I want to buy an iPad. No, I, I want to buy this like knockoff thing from China no one's doing that and when I talk to representatives IDC they say oh yeah we're actually we're counting some devices that you know are would be called children's toys or you know devices along that line that's completely fraudulent to compare that to say that this is the market for iPads you know people are looking at a leap pad or they're looking at a an iPad
1: let me ask you here do you ever ask like an IDC why are you doing this can you justify it
19: well idc isn't a information source it's not like the you know the government trying to provide citizens with information on stuff they are they serve their clients so when their clients need something to be said they find the data to support whatever would make their clients happy that they've said that and in the past they've um Done that for Microsoft because Microsoft is one of the biggest clients of these companies. And so they would come out with data that shows sure enough, Microsoft is going to be, is never going to fail. And every time Microsoft came into an industry, they would release all this information about how Microsoft was just going to take it all down. And it would get broad coverage. And sure enough, in the end, people would say, oh, well, man, I don't want to try any alternatives. Better stick with Microsoft. And that's what these companies have done for their entire length of their time. And it's not a secret. It's, there's all kinds of people that have worked for these companies. I've talked to them. They've reported their own stuff on the web. And it's very clear that, that when they needed to say something, they would find the numbers they need to report, and then they would invent those numbers, and sure enough, it would say what they needed to say.
1: And they never correct false numbers. So when they undercount max sales, there's no apology. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger with us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. <laughs>
9: UnseenNow.com, proud sponsor of GCN. Unseen Now's unparalleled encryption tools keep your communications secure. GCN.
18: Hi, this is Larry Smith. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. When the cleaners ruined some special clothing, all they could do was show us a sign that said they weren't responsible. But when they got the letter from one of our Legal Shield attorneys, he promptly gave us a check for $1,152. Worry less and live more with lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE.
16: Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237.
9: Welcome
8: back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Daniel Aaron Dilger with us for another four segments. I'm Gene Steinberg, you're the Tech Night Owl Live, and we've been talking here about the tech industry, about the way that reporting of the iPad is dishonest, which goes to show that, you know, there's always a problem. Sometimes you wonder, though, why is Apple being set upon? We don't want to be paranoid. You know, it's like the old thing where someone says, I'm that paranoid. I just know that people are out to get me. So rather than look at that, look at the fact that, The media traditionally wants to take down number one. So if you're on the top of the heap, they want to find things that are wrong because that gets you hit, sells newspapers where they even have newspapers to sell.
19: Well, that wasn't the case in the 90s with Microsoft. And part of the reason it wasn't was because Microsoft wasn't Microsoft and Apple and whoever else was in that kind of competition, IBM, weren't individual players. Microsoft had a platform that was kind of necessary to everybody else in the PC industry. So if you were Dell or HP or Compaq or any of these companies that sold, sold PCs, or even if you were building PCs in your home, Microsoft is kind of important to your success. So Microsoft had a lot of partners that were kind of also, like the entire industry was supporting Microsoft because they were dependent upon it. And a lot of people looked at, at Android and said, oh, that's gonna be the same thing. There's gonna be all these companies that are gonna be getting their livelihood from Android. and we see that to a lesser extent. There is some support for Android simply because there's all these companies that are dependent upon it. But if you look at the reality is, first of all, the only half of Android is Samsung. And Samsung is looking to to leave Android. I mean, they're looking to replace Android.
1: Go into that in more detail here because we see Samsung has had problems. Sales of smartphones aren't doing as well as it used to be. The profits are down. This is their biggest division in the company in terms of revenue and profits. So Samsung has already made forays into another OS with their smartwatches. So what's going on here?
19: Well, they would like to be able to have their own platform because right now people think of Android as being sort of this open platform. And there is a segment of it that it is, but that's not very valuable because the more valuable parts of Android are Google's apps. So if you take out Google's apps, you have just kind of Linux. So to really have something of value, to have a platform that people want to buy, it needs to work with Google Play, it needs to work with Google Maps, and needs to work with all the other stuff that, that Google is doing. And in order to get those things in Android, you have to obey Google's rules, which are quite similar to what Microsoft enforced. And they say, you have to put our stuff on the front. It has to be promoted. You can't have your own apps competing with us directly on the same level. That starts to become a situation where you have a number of companies that, are, that don't want to do that. So everybody in China doesn't want to do that. And they don't need to because actually the Google Apps aren't very useful in China. People want the Chinese versions of that, the Chinese search engine, the Chinese microblogging sites, things like that. In America, there's a number of companies, most obviously Amazon, that are going with um, the non-Google version of Android simply to try to differentiate themselves. And the companies that aren't differentiating themselves, if you look at Motorola or um, Samsung is the most obvious example of that, they are sort of chafing at this idea of how do we make devices that are different? Because if our devices are the same as everyone else's, no one has a reason to buy ours. That was kind of the same problem for a lot of PC makers that, um, you know, why would somebody buy a Dell over for an HP? You might buy a Dell this year and an HP next year if it's cheaper. And so you have this downward spiral of pricing pressure. It just causes people to make cheaper and cheaper and cheaper devices because that's the only way to differentiate
1: themselves. And now, of course, they've got this big news that HP is being broken up into two parts, the enterprise part and the printer and PC part. But at the end, where does that change anything? I mean, if you're changing the corporate structure in terms of paperwork, which is, I guess, what this is. This is a paperwork change, but the PCs don't magically become better. The printers don't become better. I guess they have more freedom then to throw off that PC printer division or sell it off to a Lenovo or someone.
19: That's the thing is they tried to sell off the PC division and nobody wanted to buy it.
1: (laughs) Who wants to do that? I mean, Lenovo did very well by buying IBM's PC division one a decade ago. And I think they made a good deal out of it. And they're right now, what, have become the number one PC maker?
19: Oh, they're not number one, but they're in the, they're certainly the top five. And they're the only one that's kind of growing where both HP and Dell are sort of struggling and and Lenovo is doing better, but I think it's still, actually, I'd have to check the numbers, but it may be number two at this point. I'm not sure. I didn't think it was number one, but, you know, I could be wrong.
1: They're seeing an increase. I guess that increase is coming at the expense of the other companies, but it's the same thing. It's a commodity product. The only differences are minor case differences and the name of the label. So what does HP do here? Is that the ultimate goal is hope someone's going to buy that PC printer division by having it separate makes it easier to sell and bundle? Or what I think I
19: think that the cutting the company in half thing is just to have PCs and printers in their own directory. I, I don't think they're trying to at, at this point I don't think anyone's trying to buy it. I think they're just trying to separate it from what they want to focus on. So if it if it continues okay, at least it won't harm the the services kind of business that they really want to have. And if it if it fails, it also won't distract away from... I mean, it's the same thing that Google did when they got rid of Motorola. They were tired of losing billions of dollars, and so now Motorola can be somewhere else.
1: So, of course, with HP, by focusing it there, if they have to lay off half the people tomorrow, it doesn't affect the overall balance sheet of the company, which is more focused on the enterprise.
19: I don't think they're in that much trouble. I don't think they're going to lay everybody off. They've already laid off quite of. A- it. Um, but I, I think they're trying to, to separate kind of a stagnant group from the part that they want to grow or the part that they see having a, having a potential to grow.
1: All right. But it doesn't, of course, show a vision. This is not a vision. This is not Meg Whitman showing a vision of what to do with HP against just an organization chart.
19: Well, what they've done over the last decade it 's kind of hard at this point to say what what is the potential vision for HP computers what are they going to do with it I mean what they 've been doing recently is trying to come out with ninety nine dollar tablets that 's not that's not a brilliant strategy
1: now I have an interesting uh, theory or question to ask you let 's go back to the iPad now if you buy the iPad with the optional cellular connection. This is the one that costs roughly $130 more. And it lets you use it for data outside the Wi-Fi network on your cellular network. Apparently there's a new fangled kind of SIM being used on it.
19: I believe it's related to, so a couple years ago, I can't remember which, which year it was, I have to look it up, but Apple was working with another company and they had an idea to get rid of the SIM card and to make it a programmable system on the device. So that instead of having this chip that you pull out, uh, you'd have a you have one model of iPhone that could configure itself to work on any carrier. And the carriers were like, no, we're not going to do that whatsoever. We have to have a SIM card. And uh, that may have been, I think it was maybe iPhone 4 or 4S kind of era. And so now what you have is Apple has created... Apple now has much more marketing power than they had even back then. So they have their own SIM that's still a physical card, but they can program it to work on any carrier.
1: And it supports, I think, 20 different LTE techniques there. So the point being here is that one iPad can get you connected with most of the carriers out there. You might need a dedicated version for a subset, right?
19: Well, um, yeah. So the, the, the bands just relate to what different sorts of, of LTE bands you can support because different carriers in different parts of the world have licenses to work on different frequencies. So that's one issue is that you have to have a phone. If you want to sell one phone worldwide, it has to be able to work on enough different bands to support all these different permutations of LTE coverage. A separate issue is, uh, Verizon and ATT and T-Mobile and, and these other carriers have their own systems for using an, um, an a SIM card.
1: And of course, you're familiar with this. If you have a Verizon account or even a Sprint account, you don't have the SIM that you place in there before you have it configured. With AT&T and T-Mobile, yes, you do have the SIM card. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger with us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Yeah.
20: Adam Miller here with Midas Resources. Today, October fifteenth, two thousand fourteen, gold opened at twelve forty six ninety. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for twelve ninety two fifty five, six forty six twenty seven for a half ounce, or three twenty three fourteen for a quarter ounce. That's twelve ninety two fifty five, six forty six twenty seven, and three twenty three fourteen.
16: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is. Trying to settle on the next debt increase, and there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explained this in my book, Ten Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today: 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free. 800-686-2237.
15: If not, cancel and pay nothing.
1: So you're saying here, of course, is that some of the wireless providers have different style SIM cards than others.
19: It's not different style, but it's the SIM card is the technology related to GSM. So back in the day, uh, Verizon didn't have GSM. Uh, they had CDMA network technology. They didn't and
1: there was any. no physical SIM card?
19: Well, it didn't have a SIM card. It had a similar sort of provisioning mechanism that didn't require a separate card but SIM cards came from the sort of GSM network technology that came from Europe with the idea that your carrier could give you a chip that was securely. It's, it's like a cable card. It links your kind of generic device with their network with an identifier on it. And what Apple's doing is creating sort of a programmable SIM that can work with different carriers because right now, if you buy a Verizon iPhone six, I believe you can pull the SIM card out and put in a T-Mobile SIM and use it on T-Mobile. And Apple is just going a little bit further to say, we now have the technology to use our SIM and tell it to work with any carrier for the iPad. So if that comes to phones, that will be really game-changing. And it will be what, what Apple was trying to do back in the day when they were first working on this. And ideally, they would even go from the point where instead of having this you know Apple SIM in a, in a device, you know, slot, They would just be like built into the device because the SIM card and the holder and all this physical stuff, it eventually gets rendered unnecessary. Why do we have all this stuff? It's like having any other sort of physical device that at some point, why do you have a CD-ROM and a computer? Well, let's just get rid of it and then we can make the MacBook Air. You know, it can make a much thinner device.
1: Now let's move to some other topics here about the recent hardware. Of course, we have the iPhone, the iPhone 6, and we have, the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus, and we have the competition to the iPhone 6 Plus, and that would be like the Samsung Galaxy Note 4. That's their direct, head on competing product. And I've seen some pretty favorable reviews of that product, but only one tech journalist I know of reveals the fact that graphics performance on the Galaxy Note 4, as a matter of fact, on all Galaxy. Or Samsung handsets isn't that good compared to iPhones
19: um, yes <laughs> now, I, I reported that and actually I had a discussion with uh, the the reviewer at Engadget because what he printed was the off screen numbers, basically testing the GPU how fast the the chip in the device can render a theoretical graphic scene, and he's saying oh well it's it's on the level it's it's um, right on line with the iPhone Plus, iPhone Six Plus, and the reality is that the GPU, the GPU on the, if you're giving it some task to perform, it doesn't just have its task; it has to do the pixels on the screen. So, if you put a huge number of pixels on the screen, your performance actually goes down in what you can do with it across those number of pixels. Obviously, the, the more pixels you have, the more work you have. So, with on if we're talking specifically about the iPhone, when Apple went from the 5S to the retina hd resolution of the iphone 6 plus they went from having like 700,000 pixels to having i think 2.1 million pixels so it's a lot bigger job and apple also put in a faster chip went from the a7 to the a8 uh at the same result at the at the native resolution of those two devices the iphone 5s performs a little bit faster it's something like i can't remember the exact numbers but something like 24 frames per second as opposed to like like 19 frames per second. So the performance actually goes down a little bit because it's working so much harder. Now, with Samsung and every, almost every other Android phone, the Nexus 6 and you know, all the stuff that Lenovo and everybody else is making, they followed Samsung's lead in putting on just tremendously high-resolution screens, which are on the level of like a, a Retina MacBook um, display. Just tremendous resolution on a five-inch device, a five- or six-inch device. And yet, the application processors that they're using are less powerful than what Apple has, because it's either Samsung's own—I believe it's called XYNOS. I don't know—I don't know what the, how they pronounce their brand name exactly. But um, the application processors that Samsung makes, that they call quad-core and heavily promote, they're only on a few of their devices, but they're, they're slower than Apple's A7, A8. The other company that makes most of the uh, chips for Samsung devices, or um, all of Android devices, including most of Samsung's, is Qualcomm. And they have the Snapdragon, the latest one is the 805. And it's still a 32-bit chip, but it has Adreno graphics that it bought from AMD. And uh, it's kind of a, the fastest Android chip right now. But it's still not fast enough to drive, because they're putting in, I think it's 3.8 million pixel screens. And so the question is, is that a qualitative difference? Is it, does it make the screen look better? or are you just doing this because you think you can? And if you think you can, why are you putting in a chip that's not powerful enough to drive it? And the result is instead of going from like 24 frames per second to you know 19 or 18, they're turning in scores of like 11. And you see that in the general interface of the device and of course in games. And the reason why Samsung doesn't care is because there's not really OpenGL games for Android that anyone cares about because either they don't get to Android until they're old, or they never get there. In fact, I did a story on, you know, looking at Google Play and what was available and what kind of games people were playing, what was popular in their apps. And a variety of of apps, or if you look at the top apps on Apple's platform, there are apps that are being ported to Metal, which Apple just released this summer. I mean, they just announced this summer and just was released first with iOS 8. Weeks ago, there there are games that have been developers have taken them to take advantage of Metal, rewritten them to work on Metal before they've been ported to Android. So that tells you something about Android, especially when you when you know you hear people say, "Oh, Android has eighty percent of the phones being sold." Yeah, but the majority of those eighty percent, the vast majority, are running very simplistic graphics. They're, they're cheap devices that have ARM Mali graphics, which is like barely enough to run the screen. It's certainly not designed for video gaming. And you have this tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of Android that has either high-end graphics like the Nvidia Shield or has sort of like fair graphics like the Adreno graphics. But the problem is those those high-end devices, the, the sort of flagship uh, Samsung and other higher-end devices, Motorola and the kind of Nexus devices, they make up such a small percentage of the Android market that developers really don't have a reason to build graphic-intensive apps and games for that. So you don't have stuff like iMovie or GarageBand, and you don't have stuff like some of the latest games that are, that are happening on, on iOS. And so it's kind of a catch 22 problem for Android. How are you gonna attract games when um, you don't have an installed base? And how do you get an installed base when the games are somewhere else?
1: More problems to talk about. Are there solutions? We're going to also ask Daniel his reaction to Android 5 lollipop. Does it make the screen pop? Or is all that action with the shaders and the drop shadows going to make the interface even slower? We've got Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in
9: the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> GCN. Proudly sponsored by UnseenNow.com. Find out how to stop Big Brother in his tracks at UnseenNow.com. This is GCN.
1: Formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if graphic converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy graphic converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for graphic converter. Go to lemkesoft.com. That's L E L-E-M-K-E M K E SOFT.com. L E M K E SOFT.com.
13: No matter what the behavior, defiance, backtalk, angry outbursts, disrespect, we can help you stop it. Now you can get the total transformation for free. All you need to do is get the program and let us know how it works for you. You can keep it forever for free.
12: Limited number of free programs available. Call now. 1-888-912-1595. 1-888-912-1595. That's 1-888-912-1595. one 1-888. 888
10: And each order is 100% guaranteed. Plus, all bouquets from ProFlowers are guaranteed to last at least seven full days. Beautiful, fragrant flowers, picked fresh and sent to your loved one for lasting enjoyment. To get this incredible savings and send someone 100 gorgeous blooms with a free vase for $19.99, go to ProFlowers.com, click the blue microphone in the top right corner, and enter code PLOW. That's ProFlowers.com. Click the mic and enter code
0: P-L-O-W. The human body is extraordinary.
12: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
1: On the Tech Night Owl Live, we were seeing more information this week about the next version of Android. Instead of having these tiny update numbers like 4.1, 4.2, 4.3, 4.4. KitKat, we have 5.0 L or Lollipop. And their big deal is this interface improvement, more dimensionality, more special effects. It sounds to me like they're going to be overtaxing the graphics hardware, right?
19: No, it's pretty simple. I mean, really what they're going for is sort of a web page look because that's what Google is really familiar with. That's what they do, that's everything they do is kind of oriented around the web. So if you look at what they're calling material design, it's really sort of something you can do on the web. And that's what they're they're promoting it as. It's like you have one appearance on Android and it kind of goes over to Chrome and on their web apps. It looks like the web.
1: Okay, so it's gonna be a more web-like look. And you think that can be done without a lot of overhead. They do claim to have these Android extensions that are supposed to speed up graphics. What's that about?
19: Uh, I don't know sp- specifically what you're referencing, but the, the interface, I mean, with the first iPhone, Apple made a big effort to make sure everything on the screen was being hardware accelerated by the GPU. And that's something they started on Mac OS 10 back in, back in the day. First of all, having a, having a compositing engine where everything on the screen was rendered like it's a video game. And I think around that, 2005, they got it to the point where it was being hardware accelerated on the GPU. So it was really fast, like a video game. Android didn't start even trying to do that until around 2010, when they came out Android 3.0 for tablets. And that didn't really work out, so they they brought it to the phones with Android 4. And they, they keep trying to work on this and make it better and better. But Android has always had sort of a, a problem with, leg because it isn't designed... It's really hard to optimize, have have a hardware optimized platform if your platform is running on everything from just the cheapest junk possible, $100 phones, $50 tablets, to having high-end stuff that's on the level of what Apple's selling.
1: But of course, the question is, is the Galaxy Note 4 harder to bend? So forget about the graphics. Okay. So the point here with Google L is... They're trying to make it run faster, trying to optimize it. They seem to have an auto low power mode there, where the screen dims and stuff like that. Instead of having that be like a power saver feature, it's like an auto power saver feature. But it sounds like it's an automatic part of the OS. I don't see an awful lot there that's interesting. Other than material design and a few enhancements for maybe better performance of battery life, That's about it. The rest, well, the notification feature is a little bit better. And there's got one there which bothers me. I don't know if you read about it, Daniel, where in theory here, what happens with Android L is that if you're near a device, like say a smartwatch running Android, it authenticates itself so you don't need the passcode. I'm thinking here, someone steals your car or your smartwatch and the phone is right there. They get access to all of them. Yeah. Where, where's the security? That sounds like a stupid feature. That's dumb.
19: Well, I mean, the opposite of security is convenience. So if you make it so that you don't have to enter a password, then you have the <laughs> potential security. Well, hole. a lot of things that Google has done in, in the area of security has been kind of questionable. I mean, the last time they kind of did something like that was with face unlock. And it's like... Well, great, that's a good feature to impress you know, people on fan blogs. But if you really think about it, that's not very secure. And sure enough, well, yeah, it's not very secure. There's a lot of ways to fake out a computer camera on a phone to have it think that it's looking at your face when it's not really. I get the impression every time I look at what Google's doing today is that it's a lot like the Apple of the early 90s that has a lot of ideas and a lot of smart people working there, but they don't really have any sort of strategy that's apparent. Just a bunch of people working on various projects, and they're not really turning them into actual products that people want to buy. And when they do come out with a product that you want to buy, it doesn't sell. And you see that over and over and over again. And they're, they're coming out with, you know, here's this wonderful stuff that we're doing. And yeah, sure enough, some of it is kind of cool. Some of it, some of it is kind of questionable. But they have sort of a, a strategy of the day. So they say, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to come out with the super cheapest phones in the world. And we're going to have these super cheap Nexus phones and no one buys them. And then, you know, this year they're like, oh, well, actually, our Nexus phones are not going to be cheap anymore. They're going to be like priced like an iPhone. But we don't expect them to actually sell. That's what the CEO of this company just said. We don't expect Nexus devices to actually sell. They're only there to show other companies how to do them, which is the most mind-blowing bit of craziness I've ever heard in my life. Because why can't Google just go to its licensees and say, hey, you need to build it like this? Instead of saying, here's what you need to do, you need to take off all the crap that you're putting on the phone to make a phone that isn't horrible. Why are these licensees putting crap on their phone to start with? Is because they're trying to differentiate the phones. So Samsung has its TouchWiz, and all these these companies have their own level of stuff. They're putting on the phone to make it differentiated, which is supposed to be the purpose of Android. It's, it's supposed to be this open platform that everyone can innovate and differentiate on and you know, take it in different directions to do interesting, useful, innovative things. Well, Google is saying, no, don't do that. Do it like this. Make a product like Apple. Here's a, here's a product that's just like Apple. It's the same price. It has the same kind of features. It looks exactly the same. If you look at the Nexus 6 and the 7 and the 8 or wh- whatever the numbers are, um, they have an Apple TV and they have a thing that looks just like a MacBook Air, and they have a thing that just looks like an iPhone 6, and they have one that looks like a 6 Plus, and they have um, one that looks like, you know, whatever other product that Apple makes. It it looks just like an iPad. And um, that's their lineup. And it's like, where is this innovative platform of Android? All you're doing is copying Apple. And anytime you do something that's different from Apple, it fails, and then you turn around and copy Apple. It's just mind-blowing that people are like, oh... Google is doing this open, innovative thing. They're not innovating anything. They're just experimenting with failures over and over and over again. It's it's kind of mind-blowing that nobody has the ability to, to say, hey, look at what's happening. Everyone just continues to say, Google is just doing such a good job of failing.
1: Now, do we notice here, again, that earnings missed targets with Google? They didn't have revenue as high as they wanted. Profits weren't as high. The price for ad clicks didn't reduce itself as much as previous quarter, but it's going down. And that's the main area where Google makes its
7: money.
19: Yeah, their revenues are are clearly tied to ads on the PC. And the revenue that they're making on the desktop is on the mobile devices is much lower than it could be because they pushed themselves off of iOS and created their own platform that is not
1: performing as well. So in the end here, if Google never had Android and simply worked with Apple to make money through Apple's partnership, they'd have more money in the bank.
19: Oh, it's possible. But, it, you know, it's one of those things that it, it's, it's easy to try to change one variable and look at how history would have changed. Um, but I think Google saw itself because Google started Android for a very clear reason. They, they saw Microsoft was pushing Google's search products off of Windows. I mean, Windows Vista and Windows Mobile at the time were both really trying hard to push Google off of their platform and create its own Bing search services. And Microsoft wasn't successful with that, and none of that actually happened. But it was a, a, a real threat to Google, and so Google worked really hard to, to create Android for that reason. So Android wasn't specifically, let's screw over Apple, but that's what it became because that's what occurred.
1: So that, I suppose, is how the cookie crumbles. I'm waiting for some kind of weird sound like a bomb going off because of the fact that that was such a bad pun. Okay, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger. He's from appleinsider.com and Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
9: Free from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers. G.C.N.
1: a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code Gene when you check out.
5: you can't afford to wait so call 866-91-STEEL lock in your price now call 866-91-STEEL that's 866-917-8335
21: Have you ever noticed how many sick and miserable people there are? I'm serious. I'm talking about people of all ages who have conditions and diseases which affect their quality of life. Most of them seem to have one thing in common, polypharmacy. That is dependence on multiple prescription drugs with side effects that actually make them sicker and sicker, not healthy. The good news is that people are waking up to the fact that if you supply your body with all of the nutrients it requires, you will feel better, be healthier, and have a better life. It's important to know that Beyond Tangy Tangerine is the the most amazing, great tasting, comprehensive nutritional supplement. Besides supplying all the vitamins our bodies need, it also supplies the necessary minerals that are required for the vitamins to kick in. Look, folks, I'm hooked on it, and I think if you try it, you'll become hooked. This stuff really works. That's why I'm urging you to make it part of your daily health regimen. Visit InfoWarsTeam.com to secure your canister of Beyond Tangy Tangerine today. Sign up for auto ship and save on shipping costs. That's Beyond Tangy Tangerine at InfoWarsTeam.com.
12: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: So, now, in order to get over the stench of Windows 8 and 8.1, Microsoft went to Windows 10. It restores a start menu. it puts kind of sort of traditional menus on those metro or modern UI apps. What else is there? Is that all there is
19: yeah i'm not sure what Microsoft is going to be doing in the future because i mean there's it's kind of a big problem for Microsoft that nobody is using its software and really in the past, Microsoft had this sort of it had sort of two markets it had the the cheap low end stuff and it had the enterprise and so That kind of covered all the bases. And it kind of regulated Apple into this narrow corner where they could sell um, sort of higher-end machines to choosy consumers and also graphics professionals. And everything else was sort of taken over by Microsoft. So the people who could pay for things were paying Microsoft a lot of money. Enterprise, um, anything high-end, was funding Microsoft. And then there was this long tail of, PC devices that uh, Microsoft didn't make a lot of money on, and a lot of people were just basically stealing Windows, but it didn't matter because it just helped with Ubiquity. Well, the problem is Android has taken over that. So Android is everywhere, and it's basically free. And how do you compete with free? And everybody who wants to do something on the cheap can do it with Android. Meanwhile, Apple has taken over all the enterprise and all the high-end. Anyone who's doing anything serious with mobile devices is using Apple's platform. Apart from like a couple things where Microsoft has gone and paid them to say, no, use this, something else like the NFL. It's like, here, we use a, use a, use a, whatever their tablet's called, the Surface. We'll pay you tons of money and don't allow people to have a, an iPad in front of the video camera. That's not a strategy that works. And I don't understand how Microsoft is going to turn that around because they can't do a volume play with Android. And they're not attracting high-end markets. They're trying to play at the same level as Apple and a little bit more expensive and no one's buying that. And meanwhile, Google with like their nexus thing is doing the opposite. They were first trying to undercut Apple and now they're trying to like sell for the same price as Apple. And Apple's really in the sweet spot right now where they're making all the money in the industry. They're taking all the money. And they're not just taking all the money, they have that money to invest. So they're, they're now making application processors that are better than everything else in the industry. They can create super custom software that takes special advantage of their custom silicon. And they have tremendous buying power because they can go to the biggest fab in the world, um, Taiwan semiconductor and say, we need vast capacity to build the most technically, um, Proficient application processors possible. And we have all the money. Can we do this? And sure enough, they can. So with Apple in that position, it's hard to understand how these other big companies are going to do something. There, there, there's possibility that a small, nimble company will come out with something that hits a niche better than Apple um, anticipates. The same way that Apple came out with the iPhone in a, in a market where there were already companies that were making a lot of money. And Apple cut them all off. So it's possible that at some point a smaller company that's nimble and fast will be able to think of something that um, kind of cuts into Apple's business. But I don't see how either Google or Microsoft are going to do that because neither one of them has done anything but fail in the mobile industry for the last the last all of history that all they've done is fail, 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 year after year after year. And the media is trying to is trying to create this story like oh no, none of this failure is failure. But that itself is damaging because what the media's job is, is is to say what is really happening. It's not to say what they want to have happen. It's not propaganda. Propaganda doesn't work. If propaganda works, then, you know, the whole eastern half of the world would be in a North Korean type bubble paradise. But it didn't – it hasn't propped up, you know, the USSR. It didn't – it's not something that effectively works when you have – when the truth is there. And all this flattery for Android and flattery for Windows fell flat. I mean, it it isn't working to uh, fool people.
1: Just to put a reality check here, if you check the sales figures recently for the top four wireless carriers in the U.S. iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus, iPhone 5S. And you finally get to Android stuff, whatever, the flavor of the hour. (laughs) You see the point? The point is that people are buying these things. You know, when people look at a Samsung Galaxy, okay, they look at the iPhone, there's that enthusiasm aspect. And we know some of it's exaggerated, like at the opening to Apple's media event this week, they had this film, this or video showing people buying new iPhones around the world. And they're just so enthusiastic about it. They make it fun. Now, as a practical matter, you know, there are good, perfectly good Android smartphones there. And maybe in some respects, they do almost as well as an iPhone. But how many people are jumping for joy when they get one? Yeah, Apple
19: is not only making a product that's good, they're also doing a good job marketing it, and they're doing a pretty good job supporting their devices. So even when Apple does a really big mistake, like when they came up with 8.0.1, and hosed like forty thousand people <laughs> with this update that didn't work they solved it rapidly it was like the next day it was working
1: and they withdrew it in over an hour a little over an hour and yeah. the reason i mentioned that is because the media really fear-mongered about that saying oh they took hours and they had this and they had that is apple the only company to release a flawed update how many times has microsoft released updates that made pcs inoperable until the IT guy had to come over and fix it.
19: Yeah, and that that criticism that we see of Apple that's just kind of over the top and like, oh my God, they they have this bug and they haven't fixed it in 24 hours. Um, That sort of pressure is keeping Apple competitive because that's really what Apple's competing with is this kind of media smokescreen. When you look at Android or Windows and, and you see the same sorts of problems on a far huger scale, and the media is just kind of pretending like it doesn't exist, or they cover it up, and they're like, "Oh, everything's going to be okay." It's like not to, not to worry about. You know, who cares if, if the majority of Android phones both don't ever get updates and have serious security problems because of that? It's like, oh yeah, you know, who cares? there's no there's no malware for Android because I don't have any on my phone. That makes Android or makes Google's platform less competitive because. They're not having to, um, Google has no pressure to develop good products. They're given a complete pass. And this has been happening for five years now. Android has never been, you know, no one has ever said Android sucks. It needs to fix this and this and this. They just keep getting excuses and passes. And that's why it's not getting better.
1: But everything Apple does, Apple sucks. How could Apple release that? flawed update. How could they possibly do that? How can there possibly be early release bugs in iOS 8? What about the poor adoption rate? But if you look at the curve, though, if you look at this little bell curve or whatever, yes, a lot more people went to iOS 7 at the beginning, but now the rate of increase is lessened, and half the user base in a month is using iOS 8, whereas with Android KitKat, it took a year to get 25%. People forget that. Daniel Aaron Dilger, please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff.
19: I write for Apple Insider and I have my roughly drafted blog. Um, most of my stuff is on Twitter at,
1: at Daniel Aaron, E R A N. You can find us on Twitter where we're known as Tech Night Owl. We're known as Tech Night Owl on Twitter, so pay us a visit. Our web portal is technightowl.com. That's technightowl.com. You can download episodes of the show going back to 2007. I don't know why we have it on for so many years. A lot of that stuff is probably out of date by now, but it's still there, and a lot of you like to hear it. We have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And this weekend, we're going to be talking to former aerospace engineer Ron Regehr, who's been involved in research into ufos for over 50 years so he's definitely not 51 at paracast.com once again that's paracast.com take a listen here on the tech night how live daniel aaron dilger thanks for joining us on the show
19: yeah thanks me, Gene.